Take out your uh, sermon notes, if you will, please. And on the very back of your connection paper uh, that you had, have received this morning, and I want to share with you a, a thought, really, that comes out of our D6 curriculum. Now, our D6 curriculum is where every single small group Sunday school class that we are in on Sunday morning is studying the very same theme. Every, the entire family is studying the very same topic, the very same scripture, the very same theme all week long. And this helps us become that D6 family to where we are to train up our children, where we are to teach them when they get up and when they sit down and when they go to bed. And, and, and this is a curriculum, this is our structure that can help us become a D6 type family and a D6 type church. Our theme today, our topic today that we are discussing is the topic of love. And that is our, our D6 theme. Our goal as we look into our curriculum is to grasp that love is a command and responsibility, not a mere feeling or emotion. It's a command and a responsibility, not just a feeling or an emotion. This week as I have finished out last week's lesson and looking forward into this week's material and the topic of love, there was a verse that automatically came to my mind whenever I saw that the theme, the topic, was going to be on love. Now, I don't have this verse on the slides for you, but it is in your Bibles. If you want to turn your Bible to the Gospel of John, John chapter number 15, I want to look at verse 11, 12, and 13. The Gospel of John chapter 11, or 15, verse number 11. Jesus says this, He says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And then verse number 13 is the verse that really came to my mind whenever I saw this topic. And it says this, no one has greater love than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. I believe Jesus was talking about himself in that particular story when he was talking. And we're coming into the Easter season and we're coming into the time of year that we pause and we reflect a little bit on the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our D6 curriculum, whenever it's talking about love, it tells us that love is a command, that love is a choice, and that love is a relationship. And that's what we're going to be studying this week as you look at all these different passages of Scripture that deal with these three topics. Love is a command. Love is a choice. But the last one is what I would like to deal with a little bit today because it really sums up the heart of my ministry, the heart of this church, the heart of who I am as a person, that love is about relationships. Therefore, love is about relationships. I mean, just think how sad it would be to go through this life and have no relationship with anyone. 
Just think how sad it would be to go through life and have no connections with your parents, no connections with your siblings, no connections with family, no connections with friends, no connections whatsoever. Think about how sad that would be to go through life and just live life alone. The unfortunate thing is that there are many people, sadly, that live like that. But the Lord tells us that the great commandment is this. That we are to love the Lord our God with what? With all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And then he says, the second command is like it. We are to do what? Love our neighbor as ourselves. So what Jesus was even telling us is that we are to love God and love each other. And by the way, friends, listen. Until you experience the love of God in your life, until you have that vertical love, taking place and already in place in your life, there's no way that you'll know how to love horizontally. There's no way you'll know. Jesus is saying that you're going to sacrifice. You're going to lay down your life. You're going to give up some things so that you can love each other. I think there's a wonderful picture of really this topic and this theme that we're unpacking this week. It's in John's Gospel, chapter number 3, and it's the the Scripture reference that... Brother Daniel came up and shared. Turn in your Bibles there, if you will, please. And it's the story of Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was a very religious man. But what Jesus was trying to convey to him and to all of us is that life is not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about religious activities. It's about a relationship. And that's what I want to talk on this morning. I want to talk on the subject of love and how it is a relationship. And I want to help you in your mental process of all of this and help all of us turn from religion and into a vibrant relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because that is what it's all about. When the rubber meets the road, when everything is boiled down and it gets down to the very end, all that matters is... Do you know Jesus? Hello? That's all that matters. So let's pray, and then I'll get into this subject. Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house, this gem that's converted into a sanctuary this morning. The Word of God says, and you say, that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst. And Father, we invite you into our presence And we just pray, God, that you would speak to each of us this morning. And, Father, I pray that you would preach and speak through me, that you would hide me behind the shadow of the cross. And, God, help me to convey this message, this word that you have laid on my heart for this morning. And, God, I'm going to do my very best to deliver it. And I'm going to stand in total dependence on the Holy Spirit to speak through me. But God, I pray that you would now take the words that I'm going to say and pierce the heart of each one that will even listen. May your will be done here in this service, in this time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've all heard the jokes about men that die or women that die and they go and they stand before the pearly gates. We've heard the jokes about standing before St. Peter. Well, there were three men that died and went to heaven. They're standing there at the pearly gates, and St. Peter, of course, is the gatekeeper, and 
he looks at these men and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The first man looks back and he says, well, I'm a police officer. And he said, I've laid my life down on the line and I've sacrificed and I've served this community and I've protected this community and I've fought crime. And St. Peter says, okay, come on into heaven. The second man looks at him and St. Peter looks at him and he says, why should I let you into heaven? He says, well, I'm a very wealthy man. He said, I've given a tremendous amount of money to nonprofit organizations and I've given a lot of money to the church and I've helped out and I've paid tithe and given offerings. And St. Peter says, okay, come on in. I'll let you into my heaven. Third man stand there, stood there and St. Peter looked at him. He said, well, who are you? Well, he said, I am an HMO director. And he says, well, why should I let you into heaven? He said, because I have given my life and I have fought and I have saved millions of dollars for the health care system and for insurance companies. I've helped cut down waste and fraud and abuse of the system. Therefore, I should be able to come into heaven. St. Peter says, yep, you know, you're right. He said, come on into heaven, but you can only stay three days. We all laugh at those types of jokes and we've heard many different types of jokes about people standing there waiting to get into heaven. And they bring a smile on their face and a little chuckle and we enjoy the laughter that we hear from that. But unfortunately, there is a false assumption behind every single one of those jokes like that. The assumption is this, that we think there's something that we can do in this life to merit heaven. We think there's an activity that we can do. There's, we think there's something we can give. We think there's an organization we can be involved in. We just think if we can just be a good person, that that in and of itself would merit spending eternity in heaven with the Lord. But may I just tell you this morning, that is a false assumption. May I tell you that's not what God's Word says. God's Word talks about being born again. And unfortunately, that type of mindset of working our way into heaven, creeps into the churches. And churches all across America and even around the world have that mindset from time to time. Boy, if we would just be religious people. If we would just get involved in religious activities. You know, if, if I can just pray and read my Bible and go to church and pay my tithe and be baptized and take communion and be a good citizen, then I can make heaven my home. But guys, all those things are wonderful and great, and I think you should do all of those things. But you can't get into heaven on any of those. Matter of fact, God even says in, in Ezekiel, it says that all of your righteousness in my sight is as filthy rags. I mean, think about the very best day that you've ever had. Think about the very best activity or sacrifice that you've ever given and done. And just make a laundry list of all those wonderful good things that you have done as a citizen or as an individual. And you lay those before the Lord. And you know what he's going to say? That's as filthy rags. Guys, there's no way that we can get to heaven on our own. Through our good works, through our good deeds, through our religious activities. We must enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text today, in John chapter 3, there's a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a very religious man 
who was an outstanding citizen. But yet Jesus conveyed to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, the only time you'll read about Nicodemus is in the Gospel of John. You won't see him in the Synoptic Gospels. You'll see him in the Gospel of John. And you'll find him mentioned three different times in the Gospel of John. You'll see him in John chapter 3 where he comes to Jesus by night and he talks to him and has this conversation with him. You find him once again over in John chapter 7 where Nicodemus, as part of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, stands up to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you'll find him again at the end of John's Gospel in John chapter 19. You'll find Nicodemus assisting in taking down the body of the Lord Jesus Christ after his crucifixion and preparing him for burial. And that's the only three places Nicodemus is ever referenced. People have asked me in the past, was Nicodemus born again? Do you think after his conversation with Jesus, do you think he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think he entered into that relationship? i got to tell you on the authority of God's Word, it's not recorded in here that he entered into that relationship. But there is something seen in his life that will get evidence that he had. We find him defending Jesus in John 7. We find him assisting and being one of the leaders in taking the body down and preparing Jesus for burial. That in and of itself is a pretty good indication that apparently Nicodemus came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took that lesson to heart and he entered into that personal relationship. What greater love has this than a man lay down his life for his friend? And guys, that's what Jesus has done for every single one of us. And the only way that any of us will get into heaven is when we enter into that relationship with him. There's a lot of different things we can see about Nicodemus, but I want you to know this. He was no ordinary citizen. I mean, Nicodemus was, a, was in a very elite group. I mean, just in and of himself, if you will. The Bible records for us that he was a very wealthy man. He's a very rich man. The Bible also tells us that he was a very respected man. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was one of the Sanhedrin. He sat on the, if you will, the, the supreme court of his day dealing with Jewish law. He was a very religious man. The Bible says that he was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a a role model. I mean, he was a role model citizen. Matter of fact, Nicodemus was deacon material. Nicodemus was preacher material. Nicodemus was any chair committee that needed a good, solid person to chair a committee, Nicodemus would be your man. He had the respect of the community. He sat on the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day. He was very wealthy. He was very well respected. He was simply a role model. But here's something that he had, I think, that is a trait higher than any. He had a deep respect For Jesus Christ. He respected what he said. He respected the words of the Lord. Therefore, he went to him and engaged in this conversation. Now, Jesus has a wonderful way of just cutting to the heart of the matter. Does he not? 
I mean, we see in John chapter 3 and verse number 3, if you have your Bibles, you may want to look there. The Scripture says that Jesus replied, and He said, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus cut straight to the heart of the matter, straight to the heart of the question that Nicodemus had, and He said, Nicodemus, you're an outstanding citizen. You're a very religious man. You're well-respected in the community. You're a great role model for... Matter of fact, any mother raising her child would say, Look at Nicodemus. I want you to be like him. But Jesus looked at him and cut straight to the heart, straight to the core. And he said, Nicodemus, I know all these qualities and these attributes. The world really esteems and values. And they're very good attributes. But Jesus said, you must be born again. This passage of Scripture in John chapter 3 reveals four or five, six or eight different things. I'm going to try to unpack a couple. There are two primary truths that we get out of this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to look at each one of those truths and share with you four things about those truths. But I promise you, I will rapidly get through this. I've probably already taken too much time. I understand. But truth number one, I want you to write this down if you will, please. Number one, being born again is not about human efforts. Being born again is not about human efforts. Listen, guys, if anyone deserved eternal life, if anyone deserved to enter into heaven, it was Nicodemus. Hello? I mean, if anyone deserved it, he did. But this passage of Scripture shares with us that entering into heaven... And having eternal life and being born again, it's not about human efforts. What is it about? And it reminds us that position does not save us. Nicodemus had a wonderful position. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the Pharisees. Outwardly, Jesus said, man, you look good on the outside, but your heart is desperately wicked and far from me. Listen, position does not save us. Number two, jot this one down. Popularity doesn't save us. Nicodemus was a very popular man, but popularity doesn't save us. Thirdly, jot this one down, prestige does not save us. Now, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. I mean, if anyone had any spiritual questions whatsoever, they would come to Nicodemus. But that prestige that he had can't save him. And fourthly, we're reminded that piety does not save you. You see, he, as I already mentioned, he's part of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the court, the Supreme Court of the Jewish law. And and sometimes you get in that position, you get very pious with all the wonderful knowledge and great knowledge you have, but piety can't save you. You can't get into heaven with that. I told you I was going to be quick on those. So what is being born again all about? Here's where I want to spend my time. It's about a personal relationship. Being born again is about having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in verses 3 down through verse number 15. Now, if you don't get anything else about what I'm going to say today, I want you to get this next phrase and this next slide that's going to be up on the screen. If you can't take home anything else, I want you to take home this. That being born again is not about religion it's about a relationship okay being born again is not about religion 
It's about a relationship. Now let's talk about that new birth here for just a moment. First thing I want you to see that the new birth is a spiritual birth. He looked at Nicodemus and he said, unless one is born of the spirit in verse number five, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is, it's not a physical act. It's not a mental or emotional decision. It's not a moral lifestyle. It's a spiritual birth, a spiritual transformation that takes place from above in your heart and in your life. It is a spiritual birth. The new birth also is a sovereign birth. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about it is a God-initiated, God-controlled new birth. Guys, do you realize that all of our salvation, that it was planned out by God the Father? I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11, that card, Catherine. I love that verse. God has a plan for you. Guys, do you realize that the Scripture teaches us that before the foundations of the earth, before the earth, the universe, and all that we know of, before any of that ever existed, God knew that He was going to create mankind. God knew that He would give man a choice in the garden. God knew that Adam would make the wrong choice. God knew that sin would enter into the earth as a result of that. God knew that our relationship and our fellowship with Him would be broken. God knew that there would have to be a way to redeem us, to build a bridge so that we could have that relationship with Him again. And God even knew that His Son, Jesus, would be the one that would die on the cross for our sins, be buried three days, and rise again the third day. I'm telling you, before anything was ever created, God knew all of that. So sovereignty, God's sovereignty is very much at work in our life whenever we come into that relationship with Him. As a matter of fact, the Gospels also teach us that, that you just can't come to Christ anytime you want to come to Christ. You can only come to Christ whenever the Holy Spirit of God woos you or draws you to Him. Now, thankfully, through the preaching of the Word and the studying of the Word of God and the hearing of the Gospel message... The Holy Spirit uses that to convict our hearts and draw us to Him. But let me tell you something, guys. It is God-initiated. Okay? It is God-controlled, this new birth. It's a sovereign birth. The third thing I want you to get is this. The new birth is a supernatural birth. You see, it's a, it's a heavenly matter. It, it is completely in, in, impossible... It's completely impossible to get saved on human terms. No way in the world. You see, here's the mistake that's often made in churches. A lot of times we get so educated, and a lot of times we want to reason everything out, and we want logic to settle in and take place. Now, I've dealt with church leaders that go and depend on logic more than they do doctrine. Hello? I have seen Christians and and believers really lean more towards logic than they do the Word of God. But listen, guys, the only thing that will stand the test of time is the Word of God. And we've got to build our foundation, we've got to build our belief system on God's Word. Hello? Not some man's logic. There's nothing that you can put forth any human effort for and merit salvation. It is a supernatural birth 
and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit rest upon us the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior. We, we believe that we've sinned. We repent of our sins. We believe Jesus paid that sin debt. And we ask Him to come into our heart and into our life. It's a supernatural act. The last thing I want to share with you is this. And I've got the sermon notes wrong there, so you're going to have to make a change on that. But it's this. The new birth comes only through a Savior. The new birth comes only through a Savior. John 3, verse 13 and 15 says this. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, guys, let me remind you of a story that's found back in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel had sinned against God, they had started really nagging and talking badly about Moses and they were sinning against Moses and God, God sent fiery serpents into the camp. And these fiery serpents, these snakes, came in and started biting the Israelites. Many of them were dying. Finally, they recognized their sin. They go to Moses and they say, Moses, intercede on our behalf and pray that God will remove these snakes. We're losing our family members. We're dying left and right. We realize we've sinned. And God, Moses intercedes. And he goes to the Lord and he prays. He says, God, remove these snakes. But I want you to notice what took place in that prayer, how God did not answer that prayer. God did not come in and remove the snakes. The snakes were still there. But God told Moses to do this. He said, take a, a serpent and... And, 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 and an image of a serpent and raise it up on a pole. And when anyone will look to that serpent on a pole, they will be healed. Now, you got to remember, there's millions of people in the camp right now. I mean, I don't know how many people are in a 20-mile radius. Anybody know? Have, you got anybody got any numbers on that? How many people you think? I don't know. How many, how many is in St. Louis? How many? What's the population over there? Do you know? I'm talking about millions of people in the Israelite camp. Let's just say that, somebody can correct me later, but let's just say it's the entire Metro East and the whole St. Louis region is the camp of Israel. And these snakes have been sent in. And they're biting people and people are dying. And God says, just raise up this serpent on the pole. Matter of fact, we still acknowledge that symbol that was first introduced. You look at an, an amulet or a paramedic, and you'll see the serpent on a pole there. That's where they got this. It's there. Now, get this. Could every one of those millions of people that were sick in their tents, that were sick in their camps, could they get to that pole physically and look at that pole with their own eyes? Many of them could not. But here's all they had to do. They simply had to look by faith to that serpent that was on a pole that Moses had lifted up and they would be healed. Notice the snakes are still in the camp, but once they are bitten, all they have to do is look to the serpent that's been lifted up on the pole in faith 
and they would be healed. Guys, all of that is a type of salvation that's taken place in our day. You see, the serpents are a type of sin that's in our life today, that's in our world today. Sin is not removed just because we come to a saving knowledge of faith in Christ. It's still there, right? As Moses lifted up the serpent, Jesus is saying, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the cross. That's Calvary. And whenever we look up by faith, you see, I would love and go, I would love to go visit the Holy Land. I've never been there. I would love, even in the, the day that we live in, with all the uh, with all the the instability, if you will, that's over there in the Middle East, I would still love to go. And I would love to go walk where Jesus walked, and I would love to see Mount Calvary, and I would love to go see the tomb, and I would love to see all of that. I've never been there. But I have already looked there by faith. Hello? When I looked to Jesus on the cross by faith, my sins then were forgiven. And I entered into that relationship. Guys, that's what I'm trying to say. Life is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just let me say this. God is after your heart today. More than anything else, He wants your heart. He's not so much concerned about all your religious activities. But He is concerned about your heart. Watch this short video clip and then I'm going to wrap it up. salvation the plan of salvation it was initiated by God the Father it was implemented by God the Son and it's empowered 
by and through God the Holy Spirit. Four things that almost hindered Nicodemus from coming to Christ. Write these down. Pride, tradition, ignorance, and misunderstanding. Those four things almost hindered him from entering into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride, he was a religious man. He was already esteemed one of the highest religious leaders of that day. And it could have very easily hindered him from coming to Christ. But he overcame that. Tradition, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a teacher. He was a religious leader. He overcame that. Ignorance, how can a man be born again when he's old, he asked. Jesus explained that to him. And that's what led to the misunderstanding that he had. And Jesus said, oh, Nicodemus, do not marvel. Do not be amazed. You must be born again. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. This morning, I want you to know, as we study the topic of love this week, that there is no greater love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And guys, the moment, the moment that you enter into that relationship with the Lord Jesus, that's when your name is written into the Lamb's book of life and God the Father can then call you His friend. We're going to pray this morning before we do any singing. And we're going to have a time of evaluating our hearts and our lives. And we're going to look and see in our own personal life, have you entered in that relationship? Have you come to the place in your life where you realize that, you know, I do have sin in my life. There are some things that I need to talk to God about. There are some things that I do need to confess. I want to pray with you this morning. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, my prayer is today that you would enter into that relationship. And maybe you just need to pray a prayer, pray a prayer something like this. Just say, Dear God, I realize that I've sinned, and I invite you into my heart and into my life. I repent of my sins. I confess them to you. I pray you would forgive me. I believe you died for my sins. You were buried and you rose again. And right now, I'd like to enter into that relationship with you and invite you into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. As heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you've already prayed that prayer. But let me ask you, where are you in that relationship? Is it growing? Is it vibrant? Have you surrendered everything in your life to Him? Or are there still some areas in your life that you have control of? I want to encourage you to give it all to Jesus. Give Him your entire life. Follow Him. And He will bless you. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of repentance. And I want to help you. Father, for those that need to pray this prayer of rededication... Right now, God, we ask you to forgive us our sins. And God, we recommit and rededicate our lives to you. And I pray, dear God, that you would forgive us. And help us, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You continue to meditate on the Lord as they sing this song. Yes. 